And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Now from Second Peter. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the epistle of our Lord. Lord Jesus, lead us to be good soil that upon hearing your word, let us hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Amen. Amen. When I was an undergrad student at St. Louis University, I had the unique opportunity to study abroad twice. Now, one was much shorter than the other, and this one was a summer study abroad opportunity to take part in an archaeological dig in Israel at the foot of Mount Carmel. So very exciting. And we, when I got there, I was very excited to finally see all of the places that I had heard about growing up in the Bible that I had read about. Galilee, Jerusalem, Jericho. I got to see them with my own eyes. And so that was very formative to me. But I quickly realized as I was, as I was doing the grueling physical work that happens at an archaeological dig that 99% of the people whom I was digging with were SLU Madrid students, and my brother and I were the only SLU St. Louis students. And so my brother was a very faithful Christian, but the other 99% from Madrid were Europeans that were uh, raised in an otherwise atheistic or post-Christian uh, home. And so um, each, each thing that we saw together meant something different 
to each one. And at the end of our grueling, physical, hard day of work, we would often have these hour, hour and a half classroom times because we were getting college credit for this, where we got all sorts of opinions. We got um, archaeologists, scientists, professors, and priests would teach us for about an hour, hour and a half each night. And I'll never forget a Jesuit priest that flew in from St. Louis for a few days, and he was going to um, teach our class for a few days after observing our dig. And he knew, because I had spoken with him, that he was talking to this captive audience of people that maybe had known Christ a bit or were raised a little bit with the church, but had left. And so they needed to hear the gospel. And what he chose instead to talk about for the many days he was there was how we cannot trust the historical accuracy of the gospel accounts. And I thought to myself, what a waste. What a waste because he has this captive audience, right? And I remember his number one reason for saying that we can't trust the historical accuracy of these accounts being, he said they were just so detailed. How did these people remember everything that they were thinking? How did they remember everything they saw? How did they remember everything that, you know, random people would ask Jesus? And I thought to myself, well, what about those flashbulb memories that they talk about in AP psychology class, that when you experience something so incredible, whether it be traumatic or funny or just lovely, that you remember every second of a memory in a flashbulb. You remember every thought that you had, every taste in your mouth. And then I, I thought about what I've heard from parents. I have never had kids, not yet, but uh, they uh, have told me that they have they, that you remember every second, every thought going through your head, every smell, every background noise of the birth of your child, like at least the first one. And I thought, but what if you're not just a parent? What if you're not just remembering a birthday party? What if you're a witness? of the majesty of Jesus Christ, like Peter, James, John, the apostles, all those people. And so, talk about a flashbulb memory. We're transported to the gospel today in Matthew, the transfiguration. Jesus invites Peter, James, John to witness something very special and private. Uh, it's the transfiguration. They go up on the mountain, and all of a sudden, they see... Moses, Elijah, Jesus is talking to, you know, the law and the prophets. And then Jesus is shining like the sun and his clothes are becoming white. And, well, the sun is something that we don't get to look at, right? It's too bright. It's the same way that God is described as being in the Old Testament. All these stories that the apostles heard growing up that you can't look at God. No one has ever seen him. But now they are seeing God in his true form here being transfigured before their eyes. And the, um, then 
they hear breaking from the sky, they hear Lord, or they hear, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So just like Jesus' baptism, but then is added, listen to him. Listen to him, God made incarnate in flesh dwelling among us. And this is terrifying to Peter, James, and John. They are terrified because if you can remember my Halloween sermon, I talked about the cosmic horror of God. God's voice is scary. In the Old Testament, it's described as a hurricane blowing down trees and shaking mountains. It's something to be afraid of. And so Jesus has to run up to them, say, get up, don't stop being afraid. And then they look up and they see only Jesus. And what's so interesting about this story is that this makes such a profound effect on the three of them that they can't wait to go and tell other people about the transfiguration, what they saw. So much so that Jesus has to say, don't tell anyone what you saw until I raise from the dead. Now, is that a problem that we have today. It, are we so amazed by what we see and hear today on Transfiguration that we are running to tell our friends, our family, anyone about Jesus giving a glimpse of, the, uh, of his second coming, his perfect glorified body to us here on earth in the midst of hard times? I mean, do we... Do we, when we go out in public, do we even talk to people? When we go to the grocery store, are you like me and you have your headphones in? Are you focusing on your own thing? Or when you go to the YMCA, are you kind of freaked out by the other people that are lifting weights? And maybe that isn't someone I should talk to. And then you start to think about even your closest family. I, I, I know, I have to trust that my parents, that they know that I love them, but that doesn't mean I have to call them every week, right? They know. And if we call them, if we're talking with them on the phone, our friends, our family, what do we talk about? Are we talking about the game? Are we talking about a movie we saw? Or are we talking about the majestic transform Jesus Christ in the transfiguration on that mountaintop that Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John saw? Well, sometimes it is hard to convince people of what you've seen. I can think for my own self, when I went to Philmont Scout Ranch, in New Mexico around 8th grade. I got to go on a two-week-long backpacking trip, and I saw wonderful things, some of the most beautiful things that Jesus ever created. One of those things I'll never forget, I was walking through the forest, and I turned a corner, and all of a sudden, I beheld, there's no other word to say, two giant stones perfectly framing what looked like a perfect, picturesque postcard 
of what nature could be. I remember thinking this is, I would love to snap a picture of this and use it for my wallpaper when I boot up my computer when things get bad. I mean, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And so then, as soon as I left that glimpse, and I even saw the first group that I intercepted after seeing it, I remember telling them, guys, there's this thing called window rock. You need to make sure that you stop by and you see it. It's beautiful. Just, you'll never forgive yourself if you, didn't, if you don't go see it. And they say, okay, dude, we've seen a lot of pretty things. And then I go home back to Darien, and I'm trying to convince people that have never even been hiking before that I saw this rock framing, you know, a beautiful, majestic view, and I'm tr- talking about how it's the most serene thing in the world, and they're looking at me like, nothing's that beautiful. Calm down. And so then I just have to sigh and admit, I guess you had to be there. St. Peter shares a similar moment in today, this Sunday, is one of those special days where all of the readings come together in what's sometimes called a golden thread. They all make sense with one another. And um, we jump forward to the reading in 2 Peter, where decades later, maybe, Peter... After Jesus has risen from the dead, he cannot wait to tell everyone that he knows and sees that Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he did not follow cleverly devised myths. As I was, someone tried to convince me all those years ago in Israel. Instead, he says, We saw Jesus receive the full honor and glory from God the Father. From that voice born out of heaven, we heard God the Father speaking to us. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He says, we ourselves heard God's very voice born from heaven. And then he says, we were with Jesus on that mountain. We saw it. You had to be there. But then he goes on and he says, but we have something more sure. More sure? More sure than seeing Jesus shine with the glory of God? More sure than hearing God's voice from heaven? Something that is blowing down trees like a hurricane? What is more sure than seeing that with your own eyes? He says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. The prophetic word which Jesus shares with his disciples often throughout his ministry. First, Peter says, well, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so Christ lays out, well, what the the Christ has to do is go, be wrongly convicted, suffer, die, for three days be dead, and then rise again. And then I'm going to come back with the full glory of the angels. We are all going to be uh, made new. I'm going to recreate everything, the ugly that you don't like about the world. I'm even going to recreate the most beautiful things you have ever seen because I love my creation that much. I want to bring peace 
back to it. And Peter says that this prophetic word is a lamp shining in a dark place. Well, guys, we live in a dark place right now. Sometimes it just, it seems too crummy to continue living what we consider a Christian life. I mean, even though Jesus did all these incredible things, he even transfigured. He gave us a glimpse of what he will look like on that last day. Still, we, we get sick. Our friends get sick. Our loved ones get sick. And people die. It seems like more and more people are succumbing to this in our own church body. Where in this dark world is there the light? Where can we get a taste of this majestic glory that Jesus showed to Peter, James, and John? Well, the word, the prophetic word, the word in our baptisms that this baptism now saves you, the words that forgive our sins in the sacrament of the altar that say your sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, Peter, James, John, my closest friends, all Christians at this table, this is a foretaste of my perfect, glorified body on that last day. But the thing is, it's mysterious. How can this happen? That kind of sounds weird. In this dark world, where I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning, what do you mean we are going to receive new transformed bodies? Well, Paul admits as much. In one of his epistles, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last, tr- at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. You, me, Janine Teets, Vito Grattini, John Coulter, my grandma, your parents, your wife, your husband that you're married to for 50 years, you will all be raised eternally and changed like Christ on that mountain to a perfect, heavenly body created anew. And we'll all look up on that day, and like Peter, James, and John on that mountain, we'll look up And we'll see only Jesus. Only Jesus as we march into Lent, crucified on the cross, cross, bearing our pain, that our sickness, our death, and then dying, and then resurrecting, defeating the power of sin, death, and the devil. Thank the Lord and sing his praise. Tell everyone what he has done. We encounter a glimpse of this change in the sacrament of the altar every week in this very body and blood. And it is a word, a prophetic word, a lamp shining in the darkness that is worth talking about. That is worth witnessing to your friends, your family, your enemies about. It's as simple as talking about what you witnessed. What you witness here each week at the altar, what you witness in your baptism, what you witness in your grandchild's baptism, and then a brief interpretation of what that means in your life and because of your, what it does in your life, what it will do in theirs. It is true 
It has happened, and it will happen again, because Jesus will return. And it is for you. Amen.